thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, guys, good morning to you. So the focus of this morning and the focus of tonight is very important. It's not to worship a nation. Say, it's not a nation. Say that. It's not a nation. It's not to worship a people group. Say, it's not about people. That would be idolatry if we did that. But the purpose of this morning and this evening is to honor and worship a God who is faithful to his promise. That we can practically actually see his manifestation of his promise today, right before our eyes, when it comes with the Jews and with the nation of Israel. And I know this topic of Israel, there's some uncertainty and confusion around it. And, and, and I understand the message of Israel is one that has moved over the years from one extreme to another and one context to another. And it's important we understand that there are two extremes. And I, I just want to briefly mention them this morning. One extreme is what's called replacement theology that says God's plan for Israel doesn't exist anymore. Now, the reality is this, is that Jesus came through the nation of Israel. He came through Abraham, which we're going to talk more about. It. Jesus was that blessing to the world, and we carry that spiritual blessing today to proclaim it. It's our responsibility. But replacement theology says that God's plan for Israel, the, the blessings on their nation, on them as a people, doesn't exist anymore. And that the church has replaced all of those promises. And so all those promises that God made to Israel are no longer valid. But it's important to understand that there's another extreme. It's another extreme that's called dual covenant. I know you're like, why are we talking about all this this morning? What's important? Dual covenant says that the Jews do not need Jesus in order to be saved. That they're saved under the first covenant and the church is saved under the second covenant under Christ. Which actually, when you take the totality of scripture, that is not, doesn't make sense. Because according to Revelations 13.8, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world for the remission of sins. In other words, Jesus was the plan all along before the Jews existed. Jesus was a plan all along before the Gentiles existed. Jesus was the plan all along before the world existed. And so Jesus was a fulfillment of all the prophecies that were pointing to a coming Messiah, a coming um, Passover lamb who would die in our place so that we could live. And so one thing is important to understand. These two extremes, they come from people who are well-meaning. They come from people who love God. They come from people who are, who are really determined and trying to understand Scripture and, and to communicate it in the right way. No matter what the motivation of either side, they're wrong. They're both wrong. And so there's a place that the totality of Scripture speaks into this issue. But it's important for us not to break fellowship over this issue. What I mean by breaking fellowship to say, oh, so you believe in dual covenant? I, I'm sorry, even though we serve the same Savior, I can't fellowship with you. Now, there are issues in, in the Bible that do 
um, clarify why we are to break fellowship. And it usually, and actually always, it has to do with someone falling away from God, someone rebelling, someone sinning, and you, and you, and you cut off your relationship with them after you've talked to them, after you've tried to, you pray for them, you dialogue with them, you've been patient with them, to say, listen, I, I'm just, I just can't fellowship with you anymore. And in doing that, Scripture says, you do that so that they might see the error of their ways and come back to relationship with Christ. And th- that's, that's what that means. And so for us to break fellowship over these two extremes, I do not believe serves the prayer of Jesus in John where he prayed that the church would be one. There is, Paul says, one Lord and one baptism. And that is Jesus Christ. And that's where we need to focus on. And there are other, some of those other things we do. We do need to address them. But it's important that if someone has a different view of you with Israel, dialogue with them. Actually, be mature about it. Talk to them about it. Give an account for what you believe in your heart. And begin to process through them. Just So that's important to me as your pastor for you to understand that today. Because I've seen so many things and people split up over, over things that really, it, though it matters, it, it's not, it's God doesn't want us to take it to the place of breaking fellowship. So if you have any questions about that, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about that. But it's very important for us to understand that there are definite promises in scriptures that God wants to speak to us today and can encourage us. The purpose of today, I want to encourage you. I want you to leave here and say, man, isn't God good? Isn't that so cool? I never knew that about how God fulfilled that promise. So I want to ask you this question this morning, which I'm sure many of you have heard. Is this question right here. What is the deal with the Jews? And I don't mean that disrespectful in any way towards the Jews. But what is the deal with the Jews? Why do Christians talk about the Jews? Why do people, why, why do we do this? Why is all this? Well, my hope is at the end of this, you're going to kind of see the deal with the Jews. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the deal with the Jews. God's got to deal with the Jews. And we're going to be looking at that today. So what does... What do the Jews have to do with you, with me? What does the prophecy in the Bible about the Jews, about their land have to do with me? And there's the thought that prophecy and partially fulfilled prophecy in Scripture regarding Israel doesn't have any personal application for us as Christians. And, and that's just not true. And we're going to look at that today. And I pray this encourages you. This is a cliff note version because of our time this morning. But I pray that it encourages you and you can leave here encouraged and think, man, that's so cool. I never knew that. So in order to answer this question, what's the deal with the Jews, we need to look at Genesis chapter 12. And this is one of the most well-known historical documents that we're reading this morning. It's this passage that's called the Abrahamic Covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. And so this is what we're going to be talking about. And out of this covenant came this people group called the Jews. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read 1 through 3. So the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. There are some key things in here. I want you to see, one, Abram believes God. He says, I'm going to leave my father's household, which really meant I'm going to leave the gods that my fathers worshipped. I'm going to leave all the idols that my father worships, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to this one God. And then God tells him this, I will make you into a great nation, which we're going to talk about. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. 
So there's a lot to be said about this promise. And you can see a lot of the practical applications of this in the land of Israel today. But there's, we don't have time to go over through all of it. But what is a promise made 6,000 years ago, really, have to do with you? What does this have to do with us today? I want you to know this. This promise is very near and close to you. It's very near and close to where we are today. And after this promise that we just read, I'm going to move quickly over some of these things. What happened to the descendants of Abraham? Well, years after this promise, they were disobedient, actually, to what God was telling them to do and how he was telling them to live. They said, you know what? I don't want to worship you, God, in the way that you want me to. I want to do it another way. And so they became stubborn. They became stiff-necked. Does that describe anyone you know in, in the church? Anyway, so we'll just keep going. They became like church folks. Not all the way. I'm just kidding. They made a decision. They said, I don't want God. Just like if someone here said, you know what? I don't want Jesus the way that the scripture says. I'm going to reject him. And they rebelled against God and they stiffened their, their necks and they became rebellious. And so... After this promise, we read what happened to the descendants of Abraham. And years after this promise, they were disobedient, continued to be disobedient to what God had for them. And they rejected God. They rejected all of his ways, which I just shared. And because of their rebellion, the prophet Hosea prophesied about what would happen to them. And I want you to read this. It comes out of Hosea 9.17. My God will cast them, speaking of the, the Jewish people, away Because they did not obey God. They did not obey him. And they shall be wanderers among the nations. They shall be wanderers among the nations. It's something really important to understand. How did this happen? Well, in 70 AD, Jerusalem was conquered. And the Jews were scattered all throughout the world. They were scattered. To the four corners of the world. There was no Jewish presence in Israel whatsoever. The land was run over and it was conquered over and over. And no evidence to show that God had made a promise to them at all. And as the Jews were scattered, just as prophet Hosea prophesied, to the four corners of the world. They were everywhere. And they had, they had no home. They had been lost. They had been ran out. And the Jews were hated and they were persecuted in the nations that they landed. And all over the world, all over the centuries, they were kicked out of countries. Why? Because they were Jewish. They were kicked out of nations who before they kicked them out, the nations took all of their their wealth. They they persecuted them and then they, they stripped them from everything they had and they kicked them out. And then it, it even gets, it gets worse and worse. They were herded like cattle. They were taken to the, to the edge of cliffs and they were pushed over. Why? Because they were Jewish. They were gathered in synagogues and they were burnt with fathers, mothers, children, everyone in the synagogue. And they would burn the synagogue and so-called Christians would stand outside and sing Christian songs while the screaming of Jews was happening on the inside. They were scattered and they were treated horribly among the nations. And in 1933, there were 9 million Jews that lived in 21 European countries. 9 million. By the end of 1945, which we all 
know that day. By the end of World War II, two out of every three Jews had been murdered throughout Europe. Jews were targeted. They were gathered throughout Europe with no home, no country, no hope. And the tragedies of the Nazi regime placing Jews in camps, later known as death camps, experimenting on children, bringing death and torture to this people group. Over six million Jews were systematically exterminated during World War II. What is, what is happening? All of this happening. Here's something to understand. That there is an adversary in this world called Satan. And Satan hates everything that God loves. He hates him. And he is dead set on the, on the three things that Jesus said Satan came to do. To steal, to kill, and destroy. So his purpose is, is to kill the outcome of God's purpose in our lives. And his purpose was to kill the outcome of God's purpose on the Jewish people. So he thought, I'll try to exterminate them. And then it will show the promise out of Genesis 12 that God cannot keep his promise. And Satan sets out to steal the joy of God's promise and destroy the recipients of God's promise because he hates God and he hates everything that God loves. And so we begin to see the hatred of Satan manifesting through mankind. They were puppets in the hands of the devil. Persecuting the Jews. So all of this happened during World War II. All of this happened leading up to World War II. And actually, when you go to Israel next November, you have the opportunity of, of stepping foot into Yad Vashem, which is a museum that is an honor of all those who died in the Holocaust. And, and you will be moved deeply by what you see. And also, in, in, a, in, a, in a strange, deep way, as you walk out of this place sober-hearted, sober-minded, you'll be reminded that this was built by a people group that should not exist today. And they're still here. And it's remarkable. And the Jewish people have suffered greatly. And all of this happened. I want you to understand this. All of this happened while Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 still rung deeply in their hearts. That God will make us into a great nation. This had, it seemed to be the furthest thing from the, the reality that they were ever experiencing. But I want you to understand this journey that after World War II, this great nation, how is this even going to happen? On May 14th, 1948, a man named, right after World War II, a man named David Ben-Gurion drove down a street in a land that was controlled by the British in a place called Tel Aviv. And I stood in this very place this summer with the family trip. It was, re it was remarkable. He arrived and it was a converted museum and the audience was comprised of, of Jewish and political leaders and with prep, press representatives from all over the world at 4 p.m. Ben-Gurion stood up and called the meeting to order and he read these historic words. After, after the tragedies of World War II, the Holocaust, God was moving and bringing the Jews back to a land. And he read this, Ben-Gurion read this. He says, it is self-evident the right of the Jewish people is to be a nation like all other nations. 
and its own sovereign state. We meet a solemn assembly today, thus by virtue of natural and historical right of the Jewish people and the resolution of the, of the General Assembly of the United Nations. I want you to hear this. We hereby proclaim the establishment of the Jewish state in Palestine to be called the state of Israel. And it was in this moment that this nation, these people group, became a nation. And this happened not because of a man, but because of a God whose words he had spoken 6,000 years ago to a man named Abram, who later changed his name to Abraham, that I, his promise, I will make you into a great nation. And these words have been, I mean, within one day, they're not a nation. The next day, they are a nation. That's this remarkable. And these words of Ben-Gurion, the concept of these words spoken, were not on their own. They were actually echoing the words of a prophet named Isaiah. This is where it gets really cool. Who, 740 years before Christ was born, spoke these words about a time to come in the future. And Isaiah had seen the picture. He was speaking of a time when a nation of Israel would be born in a day. And he saw it. And he sees it and he's overwhelmed by the reality of what, how does this even happen? And he writes out of, in Isaiah 66, 8, who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Whoever heard of such a thing? In other words, this is remarkable what he has seen way before this moment in 1948 happens. Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? Yes, it has. And it happened on May 14th, 1948. That's what he was speaking of. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool. This was a moment that God was showing Isaiah. And the existence of the state of Israel, I believe, is one of the most convincing realities that when God says something in his word, when he promises it, he will come through with what he says. He will be true to the promise of his word. And the nation of Israel doesn't exist because of a man, doesn't exist because of a group of people, doesn't exist because of the resilience of a people. It exists because of the resilience and the promise-keeping God who once he says something, he will fulfill it. That's why it exists. And we hear the promise that was spoken even on this day, 1948. For now, and even today, Jews from all over the world are continuing to gather in Israel. And it's the words of Ezekiel 26, 24 that says this. For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. God also said this in the promise in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. Did you know today that in Israel there are 500 startup businesses every year? The entire European Union has 600. So Israel is the size of New Jersey, which we've heard you know, our whole lives. But think about that. No other country in the world has more startups than Israel with the exception of the United States. Here's another thing about them being great. Out of uh, the 887 individual Nobel Prize winners given to individuals in recognition of significant contributions to mankind, out of 887 of them, 196 of them are Jewish. Now you might think, well, that's not a big deal. But think about this. The population of the world is 7 billion. 7 billion humans in the world. 
Only less than 14 million of that 7 billion are Jews. That's less than two-thirds of 1% of the world's population are Jews. So this minuscule amount of the world's population has won over 22% of the Nobel Peace Prizes ever awarded. You can't argue with that one. God is, God is making their name great. Surely there's something unique about these people. Surely there's something interesting about them. And God is, that God's speaking about in this passage. They are prosperous. They're successful. And you only have to spend really one minute in Israel and, and you realize there's something going on here in this nation. And we, and we take one Sunday a year just to remind us of this incredible promise to the Jewish people. And we share it and, and we, we declare it because it should strengthen our faith. That God has picked this group of people for a special task and a special purpose. God also said to this promise to Abraham's descendants and the Jews, he said this, you will be a blessing. Now this is where we come in. Abraham's descendants were to become the representatives of God's glory, God's wisdom, and his love and his redemptive grace to the world. The saving grace was to overflow from Abraham and the Jewish people to the rest of the world. Through Abraham, God gave the word of God to us. It, the word of God that we hold today, it's a blessing to us. That out of all the books of the Bible, only two are not written by Jews, which is Acts and Luke, which is the writer of Acts is Luke. But only two of them. Everything else written in the Bible was written by a Jew. And we read it today. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. And the New Testament, what they had the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. They wrote about, they had a relationship with Jesus Christ and that was the fulfillment of this whole prophecy and promise to the Jews that a Messiah would come and his name was Jesus. And the New Testament writers understood this, they embraced this and they communicated that to us, but they were still Jewish. So there was this blessing that we have today through the line of the Jews, which is the word of God. Also through Abraham, God gave us the son of God, which is Jesus Christ to the world, to be a blessing to all of humanity with the means, actually what this means is that all of us who put our trust in him escape the grip of sin and of death. The blessing to all of the world, the spiritual blessing to all of the world is through Jesus Christ. Galatians is clear. He shares about the things in Galatians is that it is the seed, which was Jesus Christ, is the blessing to all of the world. Listen, there is no hope in this world without Jesus. Would you agree with that? So you can be a great person, a good person. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, you will never fulfill God's plan, ultimate plan for your life. And Jesus was the seed of blessing to all of the world. But also there is a blessing that still remains on this Jewish people. So once you become saved, once you have a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, you step into the blessing of Abraham. Which is Galatians 3.14 says this. He, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. But then later, G, uh, Paul writes, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, 
nor male, nor female. In other words, all of us can be a part of this Abrahamic blessing through Jesus Christ. And the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, we are regenerated. Our spirits are made brand new as we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian today, you are part of the children of Abraham. Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am. And so are. So. Right arm, Father. I'm not good. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so we're a part of this, this great family. An inherit. We have an inheritance in Abraham. All the promises of God to Abraham, get this, that you will be a great nation. That's to us as believers. Wherever we are, we will be a great nation. The kingdom of God, we will be a great nation. Now, this doesn't mean that God's not going to make Israel a great nation. It just means we are walking and being a great nation. In other words, representing in other words, putting the kingdom of God into everything that we do and ruling and reigning. That God will bless you. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you step into the blessing of Abraham. You should have the greatest thoughts, greatest ideas. God should give you the solution about things. And everyone else in your company says, well, I don't know what to do. And you're going to say, wait a minute, I've got a God who knows what to do. And you should be able to speak into that. And you should, and he says that he will make your name great. Now, here's the deal. Well, it's not about making your name great. The scripture says that we will share in the glory of God that is through Jesus Christ. I, don't, I do not understand of sharing the glory of an almighty God. I don't understand that. But somehow, we get to share in that glory. And we get to experience this faithfulness of a faithful God. And so that's for we as Christians we are to proclaim that blessing to the ends of the world because Jesus, who was the blessing of God through Abraham, gave us the great commission to go in all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news, and tell them that I am the Son of God, I am the Messiah, and without me there is no hope. That's our job as the church. So listen, we need to gird our loins, we need to pull up, we got to button up our, our shorts and put our gym... Shoes on and it's time to run. It's time to understand this is our goal and our purpose. It's to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. To every believer, every person believes, every person hears. To every tongue, every tribe, every person, every neighbor, everyone. Why? Because it's the blessing of God that God has given into your hands to say, now go represent me in the world. And the last one is this, of this covenant with Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Again, God has kept this promise. And we would not have time to go over the nations that opposed Israel and been defeated by Israel. They should have overcome them, but they were defeated. They, they, th crazy things happened. Dust storms kicked up and blinded the enemy. They, I mean, I, it was how... Once you really get into this, you think there, there, it is undeniable that God's hand is on this nation. And you cannot find any ancient group of people who has opposed Israel throughout history. You can't do it. When's the last time you spotted a Moabite in the crowd? When's the last time you, you, you sat down and had a cup of coffee with a Hittite, with an Edomite, with the, uh, one of the Amalekites? 
or the, any other ites in the world. You know why? They're, not, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. You know why? Because they opposed Israel, and they don't exist anymore. They've been wiped off the face of the planet. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So why do we do this every year? Why do we do a night on Israel? Well, we do it to give God glory. And we give it, we give God glory for being true to his promise, for preserving a people group that, according to all accounts, all standards should not exist today. They should cease to exist, the Jewish people. They were scattered around the world. They didn't have a common language anymore. They didn't have a land anymore. Within one day, they're back in the nation, and they're all speaking Hebrew again. How in the world? I don't know. Ask God. Genesis chapter 12. There should not be one shred of evidence left on the planet of a nation called Israel. It shouldn't be. But God made a promise. And the Jewish nation exists today. God has a plan for that nation. God has a plan for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has a plan. God's great heart for them is that they would know his son Jesus. That they would understand when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His heart beats for them. But he's true to his promise. He's true to his word. And they're a nation that exists, exists today because God told them he would give them a nation. Tonight we're celebrating with the Jewish people that God is faithful. And we're grateful for them. And as Christians, we do a night like tonight to represent Jesus to these people. To show them that we love them. And it's a very small gesture of the years of rejection, the years of murder, the years of, of things that were done to them in the name of Christ. It's a very small gesture to take an evening and to stand with them in solidarity and say, we stand with you as a Jewish people and as a nation. And we're privileged for hosting them, for showing Jesus' love to them. And, and uh, we, we are to be a blessing to them. That's our job. So what do these fulfilled prophecies mean? What does this mean for you and I as a church? And if the worship team, they can come on out. I just want to share this quick thought to you. This understanding, this fulfilled prophecy, 6,000 years ago, it was promised. 1948, it happened. Also, other things have started to happen. There are ripples all over the world of God beginning to move. And what does this mean to you? Listen, you, many people thought Jesus was coming back in 1948. I mean, they sold everything. They were like, man, Jesus is coming back. But here's the deal. There, was, there were several other things that have to happen. And Jesus spoke of in Mark and in Matthew and, so, and one of the other gospels. He talked about that there's going to come a day. That there's going to be signs of the time. There's going to be earthquakes going to be wars and rumors of war there's going to be great upheaval in the world sound familiar and when these things start happening he said look out lift your eyes up because your redemption's coming soon I'm coming back this is very important for us to understand what does this have to do? Why? Okay, God fulfilled his promise with the Jews. What does that have to do with me? What it has to do with you is that we should be living under a sense of great urgency. Great urgency. That unless the world hears the gospel, there's no hope. 
Listen, God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to keep it. And the Jewish people have been through horrible things because their choice is to reject God. God didn't make that happen to them. Satan hates them. But because they chose not to go down God's pathway, they became vulnerable. And they were scattered. But God still fulfilled their promise. Even when many of them aren't acknowledging his son Jesus, he still honors his promise. These practical promises of a land and that there will be a blessing. But salvation to them can only come through Jesus. So for us, what does this say for us? So God is going to take care of the promise with with the Jewish people because he's a promise-keeping God. But when Jesus gave the Great Commission, who did he tell? He told his disciples. And he tells us, same thing. You go, preach the gospel to all of the world. That's your responsibility. We have that responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the reassurance that when Jesus said, I, you, you go and you do it wherever you are, your workplace, your family, wherever, wherever you proclaim, I'm always going to be with you. I was just reading on Saturday that when, when he was telling the disciples, listen, when you're going to, just so you know, just FYI, he was telling, just FYI, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted for me. When you go and stand before courts to to be judged for being a Christian, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit will give you the words to say. He's reassuring them. But they are driven with this urgency to proclaim the truth and the life and the hope of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. I want to expend every part of my life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I want my life to be wrung out and my last drop hit the earth and I'll step into eternity because it's the only hope there is for the world. It's it. We can have the best programs, the best music, the best building, the best everything. If we're not proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth, we are not being who Jesus called us to be. We're not being it. My heart is that we would be overcome with an urgency as we see Israel established. As we hear earthquakes and and storms and just rumors of war and war and upheaval. That we would stop bickering over the silly stuff in the church. And we start fixing our eyes on the reason why we're called to be the church. It excites me. When I look at the world and I see the, the turmoil in the way, it doesn't discourage me. It's a signal that Jesus is coming back. And the Mount of Olives that we stood on over the summer, he's going to go right there. And he's going to call all of us from the four corners of the world and bring us to himself. This is what it means. It means we have a limited amount of time left on this earth. Limited. You can invest into the earth or you can invest into heaven. You can begin to do things here that you're not going to take it with you. Or you can begin to invest in things that are going to reap a tremendous award in heaven. You can invest in your own life or you can invest in saving someone else's life. This is what Jesus was saying. Get ready. Look up. Salvation is coming soon. And this is our job. Here's my question to you today. What about you? Do you know Jesus today? Because I'm telling you, he's coming again. 
And when he comes, your moment, your window, your age of opportunity is gone. You are living in the age of opportunity right now. He brought you here to hear this message, to say, I want your life because I'm coming back and I want you to be saved before I draw a line in the sand and say that opportunity is over. He's kept his promise with the Jews. They still need to know Christ. And he will keep his promise to you if you will put your trust in him. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.